The New Testament reading for this morning is taken from the book of Acts, beginning in the 16th chapter of the 9th verse. Luke wrote these things. That night Paul had a dream, and a Macedonian stood on the far shore and called across the sea, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And the dream gave Paul his map. We went to work at once, getting things ready to cross over to Macedonia. All the pieces had come together. We knew now for sure that God had called us to preach the good news to the Europeans. And putting out from the harbor at Troas, we made a straight run for Samothrace. And the next day we tied up a new city and walked from there to Philippi, the main city in that part of Macedonia, and even more importantly, a Roman colony. And we lingered there several days. On the Sabbath, we left the city and went down along the river where we had heard there was to be a prayer meeting. And we took our place with the women who had gathered there and talked with them. One woman, Lydia, was from Thyatira and a dealer in expensive textiles, known to be a God-fearing woman. And as she listened with intensity to what was being said, the Master gave her a trusting heart, and she believed. And after she was baptized, along with everyone in her household, she said in a surge of hospitality, If you're confident that I'm in this with you and believe in the Master truly, come home with me and be my guest. And we hesitated, but she wouldn't take no for an answer. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Pray with me, please. Oh Lord, you've been faithful to gather us before you this day. Quiet now our thoughts, that we may together hear your word. Empty our fretful minds and fill them with the assurance of your presence. For we pray in Jesus' name. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude life-saving station. And the building was just a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea, and with no thought of themselves, went out day and night tirelessly searching for the lost. And many lives were saved by this wonderful little station. So it became famous. And some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time and money and effort for the support of its work. And new boats were bought and new crews were trained. And the little life-saving station grew. Now, some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. And they felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. And now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they 
decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they sort of used it as a club. And fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do the work. And the life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's decorations, and there was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. And about this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. And they were dirty and sick, and some of them had black skin, and some had yellow skin. And the beautiful new club was in chaos. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside of the club where victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up before coming inside. And at the next club meeting, there was a split in the club membership. And most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. And some of the members insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose, and they pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of all the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in these waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And they did. And as the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded, and history continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. And shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but now most of the people drown. You know, we enjoy safety. We like to stay close to similar surroundings, surrounded by people like us, and relish not being in a position to have to come face to face with those unlike us. It is an easy, restful, enjoyable place to be. But I ask you this morning if that's where we're supposed to so easily languish. We're not alone in trying to come to grips with what we're supposed to do in this life. Who we're supposed to welcome, where we're supposed to go. When we look at our reading for today, Paul is placed in a very similar dilemma. You see, he had spent time preaching and teaching in Phrygia and Galatia. But then when he attempted to venture further, we are told that the Spirit of the Lord did not allow them to continue. And he was at a standstill until he had a vision. And that vision fueled an immediate trip in a sailboat across the sea to the region of Macedonia. Paul willingly went where he felt the Spirit tug him, even though it meant getting in a boat and venturing into territory unfamiliar, full of people of a different persuasion, not knowing the greeting that he would receive or how long he would be allowed to stay. He simply went. 
because he knew that people were drowning. And he had news of life-saving importance to lend them. And while there, we are told he encountered Lydia, a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. Folks, that city is in Asia, where Paul was forbidden to go. But interestingly enough, all the way across the sea, Paul meets an influential woman from Asia, a forbidden place, who hears his message, believes, and is baptized, and cares for Paul. In his willingness to encounter people as they were, Paul was blessed with an inroads to an earlier difficult place. So I guess the question this morning is pretty simple for us. Are we willing to stay on course? Are we willing to change course if the Spirit begins blowing in another direction? Forget staying on course. I think if we're honest, most of us would admit we'd rather not be on the boat. Period. Because getting on the boat, folks, means separation. We pull away from our safe harbors and we begin to feel alone. Getting on a boat exposes us to vulnerability because the sea is so big and the boat's pretty small. And the dangers are many. Getting on a boat limits our options. Where can you go on a boat? And what can you do on a boat? Besides fish. <laughs> Getting on the boat brings up the question of, when will I be on land again? Because we were born to be on land. We certainly need to have the winds of God's Spirit in our sails. But more than that, folks, we just need to be willing to get on the boat. And that, for all of us, means a small dying, a dying to the pain of separation, a dying to the fear of vulnerability, a dying to limited options, and dying to the notion of whether we'll ever see land again. Will we together be a life-saving station? Welcoming all who come our way as God's children, or will we stow away the lifeboats, draw circles around our membership, too quick perhaps to define who God's children are by descriptions that fit only us? We're called to be the church and to throw open our arms, creating a sanctuary for all who love the Lord, all who love the Lord. So may we venture out from the safety and familiarity of this place, together just for the glory of God. <laughs>